I think it's a healthy thing for a company, if they can, to have their register populated by a range of different types of investors. You don't want a load of investors who are all doing the same thing, thinking the same thing, buying and selling at the same time. Hello and welcome to the TMX Exchange Feed podcast series. Thanks for joining our discussion today on international investor relations. Joining in our conversation today is Graham Dallas. Graham is head of business development for the Toronto Stock Exchange and TSX Venture Exchange, and he's based in the UK. Uh, we're so happy to have you here, Graham. Thanks for joining us. No, it's nice to be doing it. I should clarify, I'm actually the head of business development for a specific region, which is Europe, Middle East and Africa. I do have a boss who's the head of business development. Well, thank you for clarifying. <laughs> we wouldn't want to get that wrong. Um, that's a big region. Um, it is. And, and the topic today, of course, is international IR. Um, what should investors look for internationally that you can comment on, given your focus of region? Well, it's a, as you as you say, it's, it's a really a really large region. It includes a lot of countries that I don't go to and have no intention <laughs> of going to. Um, and I do two things there. Uh, most of what I do is around getting new listings for the TSX and the TSX Venture Exchange. But a big part of what I do is what we're going to talk about today, which is helping our listed issuers improve their reach, their communication, and hopefully their, their participation in their stock of international investors. Um, so the question was, why is that an interesting thing for them to do? Because clearly there's a, a lot of capital available in Canada and mm -hmm. in North America. Um, I think probably the biggest single reason for trying to go to Europe, and it is, in my experience, mostly Europe. We'll talk about the Europe, Middle East yeah. a little bit, and Africa probably not much at all in this context. Um, the main reason for doing it is to diversify the register. I think it's a healthy thing for a company, if they can, to have their register populated by a range of different types of investors um, who perhaps have different investment theses, uh, perhaps it can invest to a greater or lesser extent. You don't want a load of investors who are all doing the same thing, thinking the same thing, buying and selling at the same time. By having a wider range of different types of investors in different locations with different uh, mindsets, you're going to get, uh, I would say, uh, a more balanced register and therefore a better overall level of liquidity in the stock. So that's the main reason for doing it, I would say. Yeah, for sure. And we work, of course, um, in Canada with a lot of Canadian institutions, um, but also, as you say, in your region with a lot of institutions and institutional investors. Mm. And we've certainly been at the forefront of a lot of change this year. Hmm. Um, when you look at, uh, you yeah, know, that's... really a front row seat, um, and the impact is dramatic. It, it really is affecting some smaller issuers, and I know that there's some concern about what that means in terms of how effective one can be in yeah. their investor relations strategy. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about MIFID and a yeah. little bit about your... Uh, comments on, on what you're seeing and yeah so MIFID is uh, the latest round of a series of regulations um, that have been brought in by the European Union and it stands for markets in financial instruments directive 2 this is the second right. uh, iteration right. of it and it came into effect um, in January 2018 uh, so it's still fairly new um, the reason for MIFID's existence is 
to try to make the um, various costs associated with transactions in financial markets and financial instruments transparent to the end user. So if you're an investor, uh, either, um, uh, either trading directly like a private investor or mm -hmm. more importantly in this context, buying funds through a fund manager or an ETF provider, um, then the, uh, the aim of MIFID is to make it transparent to you, the end investor, where the, the fund's fees are being spent. What are they spending on G&A? Sure. What are they spending on research? What are they spending on execution and so forth? Um, the effect it's having so far is particularly noticeable on small and mid-sized banks and brokers in Europe. What I'm not going to do uh, is talk about <laughs> Brexit because it's possible, we need another life, um, I think it's possible if the UK does fully leave the European Union, whatever that mm -hmm. means, that MIFID would no longer apply. Okay. What the likelihood of that is, I don't know, and what the impact of that would be, I don't know. So let's talk about the situation as it is only for now. Mm -hmm. um, this uh, unbundling of costs has had a big uh, impact on small brokers and small banks. Um, the old model was that a, a bank would, uh, let's say, write research on companies, provide that research to fund managers free of charge, uh, and the fund manager would reimburse the broker or the bank by giving him orders to buy or sell stocks or other instruments in the market. Sure. Uh, that's no longer allowed. They have to make explicit what the cost, what the price mm -hmm. in currency is of that research and what the cost in currency is of execution. So now fund managers are faced with uh, receiving an invoice mm -hmm. for the re research, whether they, you know, they used to get it free. Right. One could um, think this has reduced the number of research options available. Is that what's happening so far is that a number of small banks and brokers have uh, consolidated, they've merged, the mm -hmm. ones acquired another big team, teams have moved. The overall number of, of firms providing these sort of services has gone down. Uh, and I think it's a, a big problem, obviously, for those bankers. But perhaps more importantly, it's a problem for the small and mid-sized publicly listed companies that they used to cover. Well, sure. Because the big banks, yeah. the really big banks, aren't so interested in providing detailed research at the moment for smaller and mid-sized companies because they can't generate the amount of uh, fee income from a small company that they can from a big company as mm -hmm. their client. That and may, it, would, that and it would result, too, I would imagine, in fewer companies, fewer investors seeing those companies yeah, so and even getting it, access to those It's become companies. much harder... It's become significantly harder for the, let's say, the, the CEO or CFO of a, a mid-sized company to get a bank or a broker to uh, introduce him to investors, either on a one-to-one -one basis or through investor conferences. This, this sort of corporate access um, service provision has also gone down. The number of conferences that are happening this year uh, is already lower. Um, yeah, I read somewhere that there yeah. are um, 30 fewer conferences in the first quarter of the year, like I'm, a drop of 17%. I'm not, I'm not sure what the numbers yeah. are. But so, yes, those conferences are, there'll be, there'll be, there'll be fewer of those conferences and there will be fewer people participating even in that smaller number of conferences. Because a lot of buy-side 
right. uh, people, portfolio managers and fund managers, it's a real big deal for them to have a relationship with um, a bank or broker. They right. have to uh, get it approved by their whatever committee. Mm-hmm. And uh, So if you're a fund manager at Fidelity, um, it, maybe you've got 10 banks and brokers that you'll have a research and an execution uh, relationship with. 10 already mm-hmm. is a lot. You certainly mm-hmm. don't want 15 or 20 or 30, which mm-hmm. you might have done mm-hmm. before because the stuff was free at the right. point of delivery. Right. Uh, the expectation was you would pay for it uh, at some point by, by, um, through execution fees. Right. That model's gone. So what happens next? I mean, the first phase is the number of events has gone down, the level of participation has gone down, the, le- the level of research is, um, that's being provided is, is going down. Um, the number of small cap banks and brokers is going down or has gone down. But where that takes us next, I don't know, because there are some interesting things happening that might, something will probably come in to fill the gap. Right. I don't know what it is. AI. Yeah. Maybe the the big global banks will, rather than having um, highly paid, maybe they're not highly paid, uh, research analysts covering small companies, maybe they can get a machine to do that in in some way. I don't know, possibly. One thing that is happening with the bigger funds is that research capability is moving in-house. So, right. so a very big fund will employ their own research analysts. But that's a big overhead, and a small fund can't really do that in any Sure, and there are capacity way. constraints, of course. And well, there's, getting lots, those... there's lots of analysts available. Yeah, I'm sure there are. Um, but, it, but it begs the question, I mean, we've, we've been talking about those markets, but when you look in Canada... Um, you know, 20% of our S&P TSX composite uh, companies have grown successfully as small upstart companies. They started venture. on the venture exchange, right? Yeah. So, so you I mean the context of what that could mean is very real for for us and for companies listed on venture who are looking globally to their investor base. Yes. Yeah. It's 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 a problem. Um, yeah. Markets have a way of solving problems. So I think something yeah. will will happen. Um, but particularly in Europe at the moment, this is uh, an issue um, for smaller and mid-sized companies. However, it's not terminal. The, right. the level of capacity is down, yes. but there still is capacity, there still is activity. Um, and as I said, uh, I think something will, markets are ingenious, something will happen to to help to fill this gap in, in one way or another, I believe. Yeah. I mean, although there is a, there's also sort of a, without coming over all doom and gloom, there's a, there's a kind of a trend away from small caps in uh, globally, I would say. Right. You know, the level of uh, activity in small cap publicly listed markets everywhere is lower than it was you know, five, ten years ago. Right, and you're seeing um, the impact of indexation and passive investment. Passive investment management, I think. Yeah. Um, big focus on liquidity, yeah. uh, cost, yeah. and Perhaps the other biggest thing is the availability of other other sources of capital. You know, interest rates are incredibly low. It's easy to borrow. You don't have to list. Yes. Uh, and private. And that's been slowing. Yeah. And yeah. private equity, uh, ca- ca- equity capital from private sources, PE firms and, mm-hmm. and venture capitalists. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there are alternatives. But the market still continues to function. I think it's still very very important, and I don't see it sort of disappearing. Or yeah, it's and, a, and there definitely a, has to be a strategy to address that. I mean, it is a global marketplace that even our venture issuers are in. 
So, so what kind of recommendations might you give, or how do you feel um, that domestic IR is really different than focused on focusing on international IR? What are some of the key sort of well, best practices given the current environment? Well, I don't know. Is, okay. is, is the domestic side of it? Yeah. Given you know, right, who I right, am and where course, I am, yeah. I can't really compare or yeah. contrast the two. Um, but uh, I could talk a little bit about what I see our listed issuers doing in Europe and a little bit about what we've done to try and, and help with that. Yeah. Um, we first started getting involved in London about four or five years ago. Uh, we did a, a number of, um, let's say, experimental events <laughs> about which I will not talk because <laughs> they, we learned a lot of lessons. Um, the, the lesson that I've learned that what, where we can really, really add value as an exchange is to, um, let's say, encourage and coordinate the efforts of banks and brokers who are already present in the market um, to help us in, in, in this program of, of getting our companies out to, to meet investors. And we've done it with large banks, you know, some of the, some of the, the big five mm-hmm. banks mm-hmm. In, in Canada. Uh, not all of them, but some of them. We've done it with small specialist brokers. Um, again, clearly not all of them, but, but some of them. Uh, and we've also done it with um, dedicated IR service providers. Um, so I can talk about all of those three sort of channels. Absolutely. Um, the big banks, it's great to work with them. Uh, they can bring a lot of resource, uh, human resource and financial. Um, <laughs> So when we, I've got, I'm talk, talking to uh, a Canadian bank in London at the moment about doing for the, I think it will be the fourth or fifth one that we've done with them, uh, a conference in June, an investor conference in June focused on renewable energy generation, uh, independent power producers. Um, they're great. They have a very strong uh, reach into the institutional buy side, so they know the right fund so managers and the yeah. right funds, um, and uh, they are also uh, big providers of uh, high, they have well thought of analysts in that sector. Until we started doing it with them, they weren't doing it at all. So I think what we've managed to do is persuade this bank yeah. to, that this was a good thing to do uh, to help our listed issuers, their clients and potential clients. It's been good for them, mm-hmm. clearly, because they're still doing it after several years. That's great. Um, and, and I think it's, it's, it's a great thing for us to, to show. So that's an example yeah. of that. Um, small caps, it's more difficult. Um, what we can do, I think, is help our listed issuers choose a provider or look at a number of different potential providers of those services, um, we probably, at the moment, we're not getting involved directly in, in those events. And the same with the IR specialists. Okay. The IR specialists, I think, is I'm very happy to talk to um, CEOs and CFOs if they want me to... Uh, <laughs> um, let's say, give some, uh, some pointers, some things... To look for it can be a real minefield yeah it can it can be a real minefield um and i think there's a whole culture of um 
investor events, not so much in London, but in some of the other European centres, I would say particularly in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. um, there are uh, a number of people who will take corporate CEOs to investor lunches. Now, the great thing is, it's a lovely lunch. Um, usually in a lovely location with great food and sometimes some good wine uh, and the lunch will be there'll be a lot of people there there'll be 10 or 20 or maybe 30 people there but it's very there's discreet and then there's invisible this is like the this is the complete opposite of Mifid you just do not right, know what you're getting right. you just do not know what you're getting yeah uh, that is a minefield legitimate yeah. yeah and the answer is sometimes yes yeah Sometimes yes, right. Um, which implies sometimes not. Always. not. Yes, yeah. So yeah. that's something to be careful of. Right. I'm happy to talk to people about that, and I know a couple of. I think I, I could I could pass on some information about that. If I know is that. Yeah, I mean, I, like I, I think absolutely that part that. of part of the role that we play, as you say, is that conduit. So yeah. even, even when we're not actively involved yeah. um, through some programs, I yeah. know that we offer to our issuers, it's really best practices in IR. And it really would be great to build out sort of that international IR yeah. component a bit more and and do provide a bit of a lens on, on recommended yeah. Uh, or preferred. No, I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy to do that. What we don't have, and I think what no exchange has, really, as far as I know, is you know our, our customers, as a, as a stock exchange, our customers are the listed issuers and the brokers and banks who trade on the market. Mm -hmm. We don't have a direct relationship with investors. Um, we don't deal directly with fund managers or with retail investors. They come through our clients, the, the participating organisations, mm -hmm. the POs. Uh, so we don't see the buy side directly. I've been doing these kinds of things in, in London and a little bit on the continent, uh, on continental Europe, um, for a few years. So I've, I have met some. Yeah. I, that, that, yeah. that, that's kind of those. Those uh, are just the people that yeah, I've met. Absolutely. I don't really have. Yeah. And there are big databases you can go to with this sort of thing. Like oh, for PO sure, and, for sure, and, um, absolutely. We have lots of services and, and products available to yeah. help. But I would say the missionary work, too, that you're doing and that <laughs> others like you around the globe are doing um, really does help to form um, guidance for our companies. And so this podcast, other ways that you mm. do that um, mm. through investor days and calls and meetings with listed issuers is is moving moving us forward in that direction. And I, and I, I don't think many exchanges do it. Mm -hmm. um, I, can, I know of one other exchange, who I'm not going to name, <laughs> uh, but I only know of one other exchange who does this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so I think, I mean, we do it, honestly, because it's part of our, for me, it's part of the uh, sales proposition to a, to a potential issuer. Mm -hmm. If you're listed in Toronto, these are the kinds of things we do for our... Mm -hmm. for our listed issuers here's an example yeah and, and um, I would definitely say that's an area that we're focused more and more on we, we recognize the gap and uh, you know enterprise wide I think there's a lot of work going on towards that that piece of mm. uh, solution and it's interesting mm -hmm. it's, I, I like it um, because sort of historically once a company so you might meet a company you try and talk to them about being listed they may have 
questions, you give them information, you introduce them to people, and if everything goes well, they get listed and then they disappear. This way, I can see them post-listing. Mm -hmm. I, I have some experience, some contact with the companies after yeah. they've been listed. Yeah. And that's kind of personally quite satisfying. Yeah, and, and I mean, you may or may not be aware that you're going to be one of our subject matter experts for something that we're launching called the Growth Accelerator, where we're providing one-on-one -on -one custom guidance for our listed issuers and really, as you say, um, providing a necessary aspect mm. of keeping in touch and, mm. and guidance and support and mentorship mm. and yeah. contacts and connections. So yeah. um, and it, it, we it, just signed you up, Graham. I'm happy to be part of the team. There are other people, right? It's not just me. <laughs> That's right. No, there are no, other I'm happy people. to be part of the team. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to be part of the team. Well, this has been, you know, a really insightful, um, fascinating discussion, and I know it's not the end of uh, our time together. I'm sure we'll have you on again, but wanted to thank you for your perspective. Um, it provides a lot of insight for our issuers on TSXV and TSX, and I'm sure for many prospective issuers who are thinking about if they do come to market, what that means in terms of attracting investors on a global basis. So thank you, Graham. Yeah, pleasure. Yeah, I really appreciate it. it. Thank you.